0: Welcome to the Scotts Hill Podcast. At Scotts Hill, our mission is to join God in His work of transforming lives. One of the ways we join God is by studying and proclaiming His Word. So each week, our podcast features our Sunday morning sermons, where one of our pastors explains, illustrates, and applies the Bible to our lives. We hope that you are challenged and encouraged by the Word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning, church. It's good to have the opportunity uh, to open God's word together this morning, to hear uh, God as he speaks to us and to trust him uh, in everything that he has to say for us this morning. My name is Garrett Burns. I have the privilege of serving on staff here as one of our pastors over uh, our young adult college ministry and over our small group ministry. Uh, You know, when I was growing up, uh, before, before my, my father passed away, so I was like six, seven years old, we used to have a a pattern in the way that we talked to one another. We used to have a, a pattern in the the flow of our conversation and I can picture it I can picture it perfectly even now. We'd always be watching sports because that's pretty much all we did. And he was sitting on the, the right side of the, the big sofa with the TV right in front of him, legs kicked up, relaxing. I'd be over on the right side on the love seat, just uh, just way laid back, taking up the whole, the, the whole rest of that. We'd always be watching some sort of athletic endeavor. It would be football or, or baseball mostly. And I was six or seven years old, and I had tons of questions. I was still learning the rules of the games, and I would ask questions about things that we weren't even watching, just whatever, whatever it was that came out of my mind. And so uh, I'm asking these, these questions to my dad, just peppering him with questions. Uh, but I couldn't trust the answers that my dad would give me because he was... He was a jokester, and he was a moderately good poker player, and so uh, I was six or seven anyway, so I really couldn't trust the answers he would give me, even though I'm asking him all of these, these different questions, and so the pattern of our conversation would go, I ask the question, dad gives me an answer, and then I yell as loud as I need to yell four really important words, mom, is that true? every single time, and then based on what my mother said, then I would know, okay, do I wanna believe dad? Do I not wanna believe dad? And then inevitably, I have another question coming right after that. So that was the pattern of our conversation. Question, dad's answer, mom, is that true? And then we would figure out what I need to do next. If my mom and dad ever decided they wanna get on the same team together to trick me, I would've been toast. It would've been, would been over for me. Now, when I got to high school, uh, the tables had turned. I had taken after my father and I was now the jokester and the, the prankster. And we used to have, as I, as I played sports in high school, we used to have a manager on our team and his name was uh, Mike. And Mike had a catchphrase and I can, I can hear him saying it now. We would always uh, tell Mike different things just to, get him, just to get him riled up a little bit. We would tell him, he was, he was very uh, pr- prideful. Proud of the way that he made Gatorade for us, and so uh, we would tell him that Gatorade is pretty much just glorified fruit punch, you know. And there's, there's only there's only the only real difference is that there's there's sodium in Gatorade, and that's the only difference between fruit punch. Or we would tell him that he packed the wrong jerseys, or whatever. We would just we would just pick on him a little bit. And no matter what we said, every time we said anything to him, he came back with two words: "Prove it." He would always say "Prove it," and he said just like this: "Prove it." Every single time. Prove it is what he would say. And this is the kind of moment that we find ourselves this morning in our Roman study as we get to chapter four. Is the truth that Paul has just laid out for us in these previous chapters true? Is there a way that Paul can prove what he is telling us? If we remember, Paul uh, Paul has never been to Rome up to, up to this point. He's, had almost, he's finished almost three different rounds of missionary journeys, uh, but he hasn't made it there yet, although he has wanted to. And so he's writing this beautiful articulation of theology and of the Christian, the Christian life. Uh, but because they haven't met this guy, he's having to persuade them in a, in a really powerful way. He's with overly convincing arguments. And the people that were receiving this letter, they're not really any different than you and I. We all want powerful arguments of convincing if we're going to change the way that we think. If we're going to change the way that we live our lives, we want to we know that what people are telling us is true. And so Paul understands this. So he, try, he decides to choose the perfect candidate to prove his argument, the perfect example that his audience would know and respect and honor and revere, and that proves his point perfectly. And so Paul points his audience to the patriarch of the Jewish people, the person of Abraham. So what Paul is arguing for uh, and proving in our scripture this morning, what he's detailing for us in chapter four of Romans, what he's articulating for us so convincingly, for them, for you, and for me, is that when blessings come, they come by faith alone. When God gives us blessings, when he chooses to bless his people, and he wants to do that, they come by faith alone. Paul takes the entirety of chapter four to prove to his readers by example that all the things we looked at last week, the intervention and the justification and the redemption and the propitiation and the demonstration and the implications of, from the gospel are only realized by faith alone. When blessings come, they come by faith alone. And Paul opens our eyes to this reality in three ways. So if you're a note taker, there will be three points this morning. The first way is that we are counted righteous by faith alone. We're counted righteous. This is the first blessing, being counted righteous. We are counted righteous by faith alone. We can read this truth in verses one through eight of chapter four. It'll be on the screens. I'm gonna read from a paper copy. Verses one through eight of chapter four. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? So genetically. For if Abraham was justified by works, then he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? It says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as something that is his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count sin. What we see Paul laying out for you and I this morning is that we are counted righteous by faith alone. But those in Rome who are hearing this would have had three different retaliations to this argument. They would have had three different rebuttals to what Paul is saying. And Paul blows each of these three arguments away. And we're gonna go through them one by one. First, they would say that works can earn their salvation. But Paul says, we're counted by righteous, by faith alone, and not by works. They would have said, well, it's about our works. And if we remember, if, if you remember the story of Abraham, if anybody has the right to boast about works, Abraham would've been that guy. He would've been the one that the Jewish people point to and say, he earned his way to righteousness. He earned his justification. He did it by works because God himself says of Abraham in Genesis chapter 26, verse five, that Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, my laws. He kept all of these things. Abraham relocated his family, He left his country. He went out into the the unknown. He was willing to sacrifice his son. But as it says in verse two this morning, he could have boasted in these things, but his boasting would never stand before God. Our best is still just filthy rags before a holy God. Because God doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us blessings in the form of a gift. Paul opens their eyes and our eyes this morning to the truth of this in verse three when he repeats to them Genesis chapter 15, verse six, when it says, and he, Abraham, believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Sure, Abraham was obedient, but that's not how he was counted righteous. He believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteous. It was true for Abraham and it's true for you and I as well that we get the blessing of being counted righteous, not because of works, but because of faith. The blessing comes through belief. And Paul says, if you, don't, if you don't believe Abraham, then believe your beloved king. David talks about the same thing in verse 6 when he says, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. So it's not by works. We're counted righteous by faith alone. But the second argument that Paul blows away is the argument of circumcision. They would have said, "Well, if it's not by works, then it must be by circumcision. It must be by the sign of God's people." And Paul's a wonderful anticipator of questions. Right? He knew that it was such a strong belief in Judaism, that naturally that would have carried over into Christianity. And so Paul has sympathy. He understands why the Jewish Christians thought like this, but he couldn't leave them there in wrong thinking. He had to set the truth straight. He does this in verses nine through 12. Nine through 12 say, is this blessing then, the blessing of being counted righteous, is this blessing then only for the circumcised Or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or was it after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. He makes them think critically themselves. And just like, as a side note, right? As we, as we try to disciple people, as we evangelize people, this is the way to go about it. If they're, if they're young and they're children, we wanna hit, hit them with truths kind of straight on uh, so they can have a foundation to build from. But if you're talking to an adult, if you're talking to a, a high school student, a, a young adult, we wanna, ask, we wanna guide their own thinking, all right? And we don't wanna say, well, this is what I believe, so you have to believe it. We do it the same way Paul did it here. Well, what do the scriptures say? How do you read it is what Jesus used to say all the time. How do you read it? How do you interpret it? Paul says, what do the scriptures say? Was he counted righteous before or was he counted righteous after he was circumcised? Chapter 15 of Genesis says that his faith was credited to him as righteousness. Circumcision we see comes in chapter 17. And I know math is kind of on the chopping block now. Math is being challenged today. Sometimes two plus two must not equal four. But 15 comes before 17 every single time. And for you and I, there are not too many people that are claiming righteousness on the basis of whether or not you're circumcised. But we do take other outward signs and, and outward symbols and we put our faith in them rather than putting our faith in the one who has established those things as signs and as symbols. What makes a person right with God is not whether they walk down an aisle. What makes a person right with God is not whether they raise their kids in church. What makes a person right with God is not whether you drop a few dollars in the offering plate or box here. What makes a person right with God isn't even if you're a member of a church, it's not even if you get baptized. Each of those things are only meant to point to a work of the Holy Spirit that has already occurred in a person's heart. And so finally then we get to the third argument that Paul squashes, that people are made righteous by the law. First, is it by works? Paul says, nope. By circumcision, nope. Is it by the law? then? We see this in verses 13 through 15. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Because if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no law transgression. Again, Paul proves his point based on the order of Abraham's life. The blessing of being counted righteous does not come through the law. Why? Because just like circumcision, the law would, not, would come after God had already pronounced Abraham faithful and had credited it to him as righteousness. The law didn't come for another 500 years after Abraham. God did not establish his law with his people and God had already counted Abraham righteous. Paul knew the same thing in his own life. In Philippians 3, he says about his life that he kept the law better than anybody and yet that's not how a person is counted righteous. So Paul shoots the third argument down. You know, some years ago, there was an article posted in a, an Indian news magazine about this great Hindu religious festival called Maha Kumbh Mele. Maha Kumbh Mele. It happens every 12 years. It's led out by the stark, naked religious leaders. They come and they come to the, to the conflux of these two rivers and they show their obedience. To their gods through some crazy ways. They they walk on hot coals. They lay down on broken glass. You'll see them take these long sores and to slice their tongues through with it as an offering of silence to their gods. They'll look at the sun for hours to intentionally blind themselves. And the reason they do this, as one Hindu book declares, is that those who bathe at the conflux of the black and white river, the Ganga and the Yamuna, they get to go to heaven. Another sacred writing says that the pilgrim who bathes at this place wins absolution for his whole family, and even if he has perpetrated a hundred crimes, he is redeemed the moment he touches the Ganga, whose waters wash away his sins." So you'll see people at this waterfront lined, millions of people lined there shaving, not just their heads, but every single hair off their body, including their eyebrows and their eyelashes. Why would they do this? Because another of their writings says that for every hair, for just a single hair, for every hair thus thrown into the waters, you are promised a million years residence in heaven. So the article then closes uh, with the comment that millions who come with spiritual hunger depart with peace in their hearts and a renewed faith. Church, what a demonic deception that is. And yet, it perfectly illustrates this works-centered, symbol-centered, law-centered system of religion that humanity creates on its own, all of which tries to convince people that they can be made right with God and they can be guaranteed a place in heaven by doing things, by accomplishing things. And they all have in common this false belief in righteousness outside of faith in the one true God. God wants to bless people with righteousness. When blessings come, they come by faith alone. But what about my works? What about all of my good deeds, Paul? It can't be because then it would be owed to you and it wouldn't be a gift. But Paul, what about circumcision? What about the sign of our people? It can't be. That's only an outward symbol of an inward reality. But Paul, what about the law? What about everything that God gave us to follow and to walk in? It can't be. Abraham came a half century before the law. Believer in the room, you are counted righteous by faith and faith alone. Then we get to our second blessing. The blessing of being counted righteous by faith. It gains us another blessing. We're in a righteous community by faith alone. Now I'm gonna do something here this morning and I'm not gonna do it alone because if you guys don't join in with me, I'm just gonna cut, cut it off. But I know there are plenty of you here with me that can join me. I'm gonna sing a little, a little ditty. It goes like this. Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had Father Abraham and I am one of them and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Then you do the Christian hokey pokey, right arm, left arm, right leg. Y'all aren't joining with me in that. That's all right. (laughs) Now, where would we find a truth like that? Is that that actually a biblical claim or is that a made up theological idea intended to indoctrinate children's with a catchy tune? Which one is it? Well, we find that that tune is true and we see Paul teach it to the Romans here in our next verses, verses 16 and 17. 16 and 17, he says, that is why it depends on faith. Church, if we're gonna get it this morning, that it depends on faith. It's like the sixth time he said it. That is why it depends on faith. Why, Paul? In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, to everybody. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, he gives, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. When you have faith in the one true God and you receive the blessing of being counted righteous by that faith, you are not counted righteous alone. You are brought into a community of those who have been counted righteous as well. There's a reason that the Bible uses family language so often. It's not just to to point us to the intimacy that we have, although that's, that's a part of it, but it's also to recognize promises and inheritances and blessings. The people of God are called sons and daughters of God. Jesus becomes our Lord and our Savior and our brother. So in a real and spiritual way, we become the offspring of Abraham. And so we receive then as offspring of Abraham the benefits and the blessings and the inheritance that was promised to Abraham, specifically eternal life, inheriting the earth, membership into God's chosen people and partnership with the Holy Spirit. Verse 16 tells us that the offspring of Abraham are no longer, no longer simply the genetic and biological Israelites. It's no longer the only those who received the law and who were adherents of the law. The offspring of Abraham, the children of Abraham are those who share the faith of Abraham And that's what makes him the father of many nations. Romans teaches us that that's how the promise that he would be the father of many nations comes to fruition. Jews and Gentiles now combine in one righteous community to be recognized as the many nations that Abraham is a father of by faith. It doesn't matter how many differences there are between us. I look out now and I see tons of differences in the people that are here, but we're all united because of faith. I think of the, the people that are come, going to come and be at my house in just a few hours for our small group, how many differences we have just in my small group. We have people that have celebrated many marriage anniversaries and we have people who aren't married at all. We have people with kids and some who don't. We have people that own homes or the bank owns it. We have people who rent homes. We have people that rent apartments. We have people with master's degrees and bachelor's degrees and associate's degrees and high school diplomas. And my son who's gonna turn one in two days, he's never been to school a day in his life. We have people of different heritages, different upbringings. Some have come from Christian homes. Some have come, uh, have not. We have people of different skin color. We have people with different citizenships. We have people with that are citizens of the United States, citizens of Ireland, citizens of Nigeria. There's so many differences just in my house on Sunday afternoons. This room this morning has even more differences. Congregations gathered around Wilmington have even more differences. The worldwide church has even greater differences. And yet, the blessing of the righteous community necessitates just one thing in common, that we are all children of Abraham because we share the same faith. And we can't miss what he says here, that it is all poured out by God's grace. Why does it depend on faith? So that the promise may rest on grace and when it rests on God's grace, we don't have to wonder if we've earned it. We don't have to wonder if we've done enough. We don't have to wonder if we can come to God and, and, and earn our justification and our righteousness. The promise rests in the character of God and the grace that he wants to pour out on all of his people. And doing that, make sure that the inheritance, that that promise The promise given to Abraham now becomes the promise given to all of God's people because it is guaranteed to all of his offspring. Faith unlocks the floodgates of God's grace in our lives. We get the blessing of being justified, being counted, righteous, and we get the blessing of being a part of a community being of now a part of the many nations so we receive the same inheritance that was promised to Abraham i have a professor or i had a professor i guess in seminary uh, his name was Timothy Paul Jones and he wrote a book on uh, on god's grace it's called proof on how powerful god's grace is and in the in the the book he has an example, an illustration that he uses uh, that's a true story about his own life. So he has a daughter uh, who he had adopted, but that daughter had already also been adopted by another family previous to this. And so that family, the previous family, would go to Disney World on occasion and they would would have vacation there and they would take everybody uh, except her. Uh, They would take their biological children there but they wouldn't take her. She would stay at home with, uh, with, a family, with a family friend, a neighbor. And so when my professor heard this, he decided, well, we gotta take a special trip now to Disney World. And so in the, the weeks and in the, the days leading up to their Disney World trip, she started to get real reckless. She started to, to lash out. She started to be disobedient. She started to be really hurtful. And just before the trip, she, she kind of burst out. She said, you aren't going to take me, are you? You're not gonna let me go. Because she knew there was no way she was going to be able to earn her way to Disney World. And so she was intense on making her punishment worth it. But she did get to go. He did take her. And he writes that after an exhausting first day in the park, she was already nodding off in her bed when she said to her father, I finally got to go to Disney World, but it wasn't because I was good, it's because I'm yours. And that's the story of grace that we see here in this text, that it's not gonna be about works. It's not gonna be about what I can earn. It's not gonna be about outward symbols. It doesn't even have to be, the, we don't have to be of the genetic and biological bloodline of Abraham to receive the blessings. We get to be called gods. God says, you're mine. We can look at our heavenly father and say, I'm yours. And because of that, then we get the blessings. So when blessings come, they come by faith alone. We're counted righteous by faith alone. We're in a righteous community by faith alone. And then lastly, we're empowered to live committed lives in righteousness. We are committed to righteous living. Guess how? By faith alone. We see this first in Romans verses 18 and 19. Where see, we see that we are committed to this righteous living by faith alone, even through the obstacles. Even through the obstacles. Verses 18 and 19 say, in hope, we're still looking at Abraham's life, right? Abraham is the proof of this truth. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. And he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Notice Abraham's commitment to a life of righteousness through life's obstacles. There was every human reason for Abraham to doubt the goodness and the promises of God. He had intellectual reasons to doubt that led to emotional reasons to doubt that were grounded and founded in physical reasons to doubt. But Abraham had made a commitment to God by faith. The scripture says in verse 18 that in hope he believed against hope. Abraham could have looked up and down, in and out, left and right, across the facts of his life, and nothing would have told him, yep, Sarah and I are about to have a baby. Wouldn't have happened. He could have divided his list of human doubts on one side and and human reasons to hope on the other side, and the right side of that paper would have had nothing on it, completely blank. You know, the name Abram, so the first name he had, the name Abram means exalted father. Can you imagine being 70 plus years old? Your name means exalted father. And you go introduce yourself to people, you're talking to people and they say, man, Abram, your name means exalted father? But man, How many kids do you have? And he has to live with the shame in that day of saying, I don't have any kids. But doesn't your name mean exalted father? Yes, I know what my name means. But I don't have any kids. And so then for a moment, can you imagine the joy that Abram has. When God says, guess what? I'm making a covenant with you and I'm gonna change your name. And he says, oh, this is going to be wonderful. What's my new name gonna be God? And God says, I'm gonna call you Abraham, which means father of multitudes. He says, well, this is not really not any better, God. What are you doing to me? He gets excited, but his new name seems even worse from a human perspective. He has all these obstacles in his life. The obstacle of age was not on his side. They must not have known about the primetime ministry we have here at Scotts Hill. Says he was about a hundred, which means I guess he was as good as dead. And Sarah wasn't too far behind. The obstacle of infertility was there, right? Sarah's womb was barren. It was barren when she was at the normal age to bear a child. Now she's nearing a hundred. The obstacle of time was present. God made the promise, but it didn't happen immediately. It took almost 25 years for God to fulfill the promise that he made to Abraham. And yet none of that mattered because Abraham hoped against hope. George Mueller says that faith begins where man's power ends. And Abraham was powerless he was committed to righteous living and we are committed to righteous living by faith alone, both through life's obstacles and with great conviction. And with great conviction. Verses 20 through 22 say, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but actually he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham's faith started strong and it ended strong. It did not weaken and it did not waver. And just because he couldn't see how God was going to accomplish the promise doesn't mean he doubted that God could accomplish and would accomplish the promise. And that's precisely what faith is. It's not removed from the facts of life and what can be seen. It just goes beyond it, right? Hebrews 11 verse one says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Abraham was committed to righteous living by faith alone with great conviction. Scripture says he was fully convinced. And so no matter what is going on in your life, a life of faith, One with great conviction always looks at problems in light of God's promises. When we have things going on in our lives, we look at our problems through the lens of the promises God has already given us. Abraham had that anchor for his soul that it talks about in Hebrews chapter six in recognition of God's promises. He was committed to righteous living with great conviction. When blessings come, they come by faith alone. We're counted righteous by faith alone. We're in a righteous community by faith alone, and we're empowered to be committed to righteous living by faith alone. Just like me uh, with my dad and yelling out to my mom, the people of Rome needed to see that Paul was, in fact, telling the truth. They looked to their father Abraham to see the validity of Paul's arguments. And Abraham's life proclaims yes, overwhelmingly yes. Paul is speaking the truth to you. But he's not finished in in chapter four. We get the final three beautiful verses. Paul says, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. And it will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Tell it to me one more time, Paul. Paul. Give me another glass of that glorious gospel message. Hit me with it again. We got the good news last week and we're hearing it again this morning. When Moses wrote Genesis chapter 15, he wasn't just writing it for the people of old. He wasn't just writing it for the people in Rome. He was writing it for you and for me. Righteousness was not just counted for Abraham when Abraham had faith, but it will be counted to you as well when you have faith. And what is it that you have to believe, right? What is the thing that I have to believe if I'm going to be counted righteous? You just have to believe the same thing that Abraham believed. You have to have the same faith as Abraham. Verse 17 says that Abraham believed in the God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not yet exist. You have to believe that our God is a God that gives life to the dead. Believe in the God who raised Jesus our Lord from the grave, the one who rolled the stone away, the one who enabled him to walk out of that tomb, and who can do the same thing in your heart, who can take the dead heart of stone that you once had or maybe you still have and replace it with a living, beating heart of flesh who can tell you to run out of the grave. And why did he do it? Again, he did it for us. Verse 25, to pay for our trespasses and to allow us to be counted righteous by faith alone. This scripture is written for you and I this morning. Romans chapter 15, verse four, we'll get there in a few weeks, but he says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction." that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Church, I pray that you leave here with endurance and encouragement and hope this morning. So what does this mean for each of us? What does it mean for us today as the truth of Romans 4 touches our lives? Well, if it's all by faith alone, then I think our application is that we do what Hebrews 12 tells us to do, that we look to the founder and the perfecter of our faith, Jesus. And he gives us an example. And we have four applications this morning. The first one is that we rejoice in justification. Church, we should be excited for what God's grace has gifted us with. We have had a debt repaid that we could never pay on our own. Hebrews 12, we look to the founder and the perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him bore the penalty on the cross. If God, if Jesus was joyful in the payment he gave, we should be joyful in the reception of that gift. We should rejoice in the fact that we are justified and that we didn't have to earn it. We didn't have to have any sign or symbol. There was no way we could earn it and work for it. It was just given to us. It's a gift. We should rejoice in that. Second, recognize your community. Rejoice in justification, recognize your community. Believing leads to belonging. Believing leads to belonging. All the language here is corporate language. It's community language. It's plural language. It was written for our sake for us who believe. Jesus died and was raised for our sins and our justification. Love the gift your God has given you in your community, in your biblical friendships, in your small group, in this church. Thirdly, we run with obedience. Rejoice in justification, recognize your community, run with obedience, just like Abraham did. Faith fuels our obedience. Obedience flows out of our faith. We don't have time to read all of Hebrews chapter 11. I wish we did, but all through Hebrews chapter 11, we see the phrase, by faith, somebody did something. Doesn't mean we're not called to be obedient. It's just that the obedience isn't going to count us righteous. But from the righteousness that is accounted to us, and credited to us, we walk obediently. Hebrews 11 says, by faith, Abel did something. By faith, Enoch did something. By faith, Noah did something. By faith, Moses did something. When it gets to Abraham, verse eight of Hebrews 11 says, by faith, Abraham obeyed. Run with obedience. Things seemed hopeless for Abraham, and yet he remained obedient. You may feel this morning like you were in a hopeless situation, but you can cling to the promises God has given to his people, to you. Ephesians 2.12 says that unbelievers are without hope and without God in this world, but offspring of Abraham and child of God in the room this morning, that's not you. Just like Abraham was not without God, and so he had hope. By faith, you have God and that means that you have hope. No matter what you're going through, no matter what trials and tests are in your life, no matter what troubles are plaguing you or your family, you are not without hope. But there are many who are without God and there are many who are without hope, which is why this text leads us to our final application that we reach the lost. We reach the lost. Counted righteous by faith is a missionary doctrine. Justification by faith means that the nations have a way into the family of God. If you read Galatians chapter three, verse eight, it tells us that this was the gospel being preached to Abraham when it was said to him, he would be the father of many nations. For you and I, we get to see the picture painted in its fuller glory that God's redemptive work in the world is realized by faith to all who would believe. There is one way of salvation, and it's been that way since the beginning. And that one way is available to all of your coworkers, to all of your neighbors, to all of your friends and your family. Reach. The lost. This is a missionary text we see this morning. If you're here this morning and you've put your faith in God, then rejoice in justification. Recognize your community. Run the race with obedience and go reach the lost. The text just supports what we all just prayed earlier this morning. That's your calling from this text. Abraham is a life of proof. our lives can be the same proof to other people who look at us, to other people who watch us. And we can proclaim the same truths as Paul, that acceptance into the family of God, acceptance as a child of Abraham is available to all people by faith. Believing leads to belonging. And if you're here without God, And if you're here without hope, you don't have to be. You don't have to be. We believe in the God who gives life to the dead believe in the God who brings into existence things that did not yet exist. He can do this in your life and he wants to do this in your life and you don't have to go out of here and and try to drum up something and, and earn it and come back and say, look at what I did. Am I now a part of the family of God? Do I now get an eternal life with my creator? You don't have to do that. It's not by signs and symbols. It's not by works. It's not by the law. It's not by obedience. It's by belief is by faith and you can know that it will be yours because the promise doesn't rest in my response to if you come and tell me that you have faith or that you believe or what your friend says or your mom or dad says, your teacher says, your boss says, the promise rests on grace so that it can be guaranteed to all who have the same faith As Abraham. Let's pray this morning. Lord, we thank you for that truth. Lord, we thank you for the reality that we don't have to earn it. We thank you for the reality that we don't have to do something in order to be counted righteous, in order to be justified. Lord, we thank you for this text that shows us that from the beginning, your plan for bringing people into your family back into a right relationship with you has never been anything different than faith. It was that way for Abraham. It was that way for Paul. It was that way for the Romans and the early church. And it's the same for us today. Lord, I do pray that if there are those who are without hope and without God in this room, that they do not stay that way for long. I pray that they would come talk to me, talk to Pastor Phil, talk to any of our pastors, any of our staff, any of our small group leaders, any of their friends and family who brought them here this morning. That's an exciting conversation and we welcome it. Lord, we believe that you are the one who calls to life things that are dead. Lord, would we operate in that faith this week. We pray that in the name of Jesus,
0: amen. Thank you for listening. Hebrews thirteen twenty through twenty one says, "Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great Shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen." This is our hope for you today. If you would like to connect with us, visit our website at ScotSol.org slash next steps. Till next time.